This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But Jordan averaged like 37 points or whatever at a time when there was hand checking and body slams and so much stuff that he had to endure. I mean, hardly any three-point shooting. You had to really prove that you were the man. Like, it was physical. I mean, now it's like everything's so free and loose, and it's like it's fun. I like it. I'm not complaining. But but it was a man's league. Mike came up to a man's league. Like, you had to be built for it. If you if you weren't, you weren't gonna survive. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we talked to one of our favorites, the athletic basketball scribe Michael Lee, about this documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance. And people are saying that this documentary might be the last instance we ever have in the sports world of a monocultural moment. In other words, an event that everybody will be tuning into. And frankly, if we don't see a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, that actually makes a great deal of sense. Uh, also, I've got some choice words about the carnivalesque world of professional wrestling, along with some breaking news about what's happening in that world. I also have Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards, a special Kaepernick watch and more. But first, let's go to Michael Lee. Michael, thank you so much for making the time. I really do appreciate it. Hey, man, you know, whenever you need me, I'll, I'll hop on. So That sounds terrific, too. So one thing that people are looking forward to, of course, uh, to get this uh, about Michael Jordan and the 98 Chicago Bulls, the last dance, and I wanted to ask you, like, what, what, what's the buzz that you're hearing around this? Um, because there's such high expectations. But, you know, th- there's been Jordan content going back to Come Fly With Me. I remember when I had that videotape growing up. Yeah, and me yet, too. Yeah, and still, you know, th- this incredible thirst for Jordan content. What, why, why do you think the expectations are so high for this? Well, first off, I mean, we're without sports. I mean, there's nothing to kind of keep us entertained any more than watching old games. Um, you know, Jordan is clearly a larger-than-life figure. He's up there in that Mount Rushmore of, of athletes, you know, with Muhammad Ali and Babe Ruth and all the greats that you compare somebody to. You know, I, I found it amusing that people always say that, you know, LeBron is the best, and they always say he's better than Jordan. And I'm always like, well, if somebody's the best, you don't need to compare them to anybody. 
because they are the best. <laughs> like no one compares Jordan to really anybody because he just, you know, elevated himself to a level where once he got to the top, he stayed there. And so there's this fascination with everything that he does. And I think, honestly, his Hall of Fame speech did so much to unmask who the real Michael Jordan was because we knew him from Gatorade commercials and the Spike Lee ads, and we knew him from all of these, like I said, come fly away with me and all these sort of propaganda machines that gave you this image of Michael as being, you know, one thing. And if you knew people who knew him or around him, who played with him or, um, you know, uh, with him, you know, and, 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 you know, college or the pros, they'll tell you that that wasn't the image that, he projected this Air Jordan persona that he projected wasn't the competitor that the ruthless competitor that you saw every day. And so when he revealed himself and who he really was during that speech, I think a lot of people were aghast. I think a lot of people were taken aback because they didn't know who Michael Jordan was all these years. And he's been in our, he's been in our face for so many years. I mean, this was, he made, this was 25 years after he made his debut with the Bulls, you know, 27 years after he hit the shot against Georgetown and you thought you knew a guy and then all of a sudden he's just telling you all these things that motivated him and all the things that had him fired up and he seems to be taking shots at Dean Smith and all these people during this speech and I remember being there in uh, Springfield during the whole ceremony and just like just my mouth dropping after every name it was mm-hmm. it was almost like uh like a battle rapper who just starts to take down everybody. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, coming for you and you and you. And, uh, and it was just all of this, uh, all of this side of him was revealed. So I think for the last decade, there's sort of been a even bigger uh, mystery surrounding Jordan because he's been out of the limelight for the most part. I mean, he's been owner of the, of the Hornets and the Bobcats, whatever, but he hasn't really been visible. He has sort of, taking the backseat, allow other stars to emerge and be the voice and the face of basketball in general. And um, so there's a, there's a hunger to kind of get to know who Michael Jordan is and who he was. And that's just from people from my generation. And mm. then when you talk about our kids or our nephews and nieces, and they hear so much about him and his shoes are still as popular as ever. So there's so much that they want to know and they want to learn about him. And I, I just think that it's just the perfect time. Uh, you know, people need uh, a distraction from, you know, the stresses of every day. And they need something new. We need new content. Yeah. We need something that we can discuss and debate. And so I'm glad ESPN, you know, is feeding that hunger um, and not waiting until June because who knows where this country is going to be in June. We may have moved, moved on. Um, but right now, everybody's locked in their house. Everybody's. Uh, watching as many Netflix shows and done as many TikTok dances as they can do. I think it's time to watch something new and be entertained. Exactly. So what, what, you obviously have different expectations than your typical NBA fan. Um, what does this doc have to do? What does it have to bring to the table to meet your expectations? What do you want coming out of this? You know, honestly, I, I think, you know, from what I've read, you know, um, from – you know, what people have already kind of discussed about it and what they've sort of, you know, leaked that's going to be revealed to the documentary. I think it's going to hit every angle. Um, I'm, I'm already excited about learning things about that team, about Dennis Rodman, about 
the relationship with Scotty Pippen about um, you know so many things that I wasn't aware of that I'm, I'm just I'm excited to see that side of him and to see that side of the Bulls. Um, I mean, there were a lot of stories written. You know, I think we we knew going in that that really was going to be the last chance because that's Phil Jackson called it. And um, you know, going even into the season, and uh, so I I honestly feel like it could be if it, if they have ten episodes worth of and they shadow this team for an entire year. I can't imagine it's going to be disappointing in any way. So I'm just excited, like, uh, because I always like, you know, peeling, you know, back the layers a lot of bit and, and really getting to the core, you know, the real story. And, uh, and this is going to be fascinating. I think that it's probably going to set the bar, you know, in terms of documentaries, you know, when you think about some of the amazing things that, ESPN has been able to produce when it comes to that from the OJ Made in America documentary. Uh, I'm just, I'm just stoked. Like, uh, I, I think it's going to, uh, everything that's being hyped up to be primarily because of the personalities involved and especially because Michael's involved and he's involved. Like, it's not like it's going to be random people talking. He's actually sitting there with a, with a glass of scotch to the side, you know, taking sips and telling you the real story, which, <laughs> I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and um, according to all accounts, he had no say over what's in there, what's not in there, what could be cut. So this is Jordan unfiltered, uh, like the almost like the documentary version of that speech at the Hall of Fame that you mentioned. Now, one of the yeah. things, one of the things that Jordan said was that um, he's worried that people are going to see it and think that people won't think he's a great teammate. Uh, you, what what do we know about Jordan as teammate? I mean, is that, you think he's just sort of joking, or do you think that's an honest concern that people will see this and say, wow, this guy is not the f- most fun person to be on the same team with? Well, I mean, there's stories that, that came out all the time, you know, the film Punching Steve Kerr. Um, he had sort of a frosty kind of relationship with Pippen. Um, they weren't particularly close, but he also understood the importance of his teammates. And, you know, the one, the funny thing about it, you know, I think that, Everybody has their personality. They have their way about going about their business. And he was a guy who was, you know, berated you, belittled you, and did everything he could to, to, you know, take take everything he can out of you to see what you're made of. And if you couldn't handle it, then he couldn't trust you. But if you could, then he then he did. And you know, one of the things you talk about in professional sports, especially when it comes to the NBA, is you know, who's clutch and who wants to take the final shot and who wants to be the guy, who wants to be the man in the big time moment. And we all know that Michael was never afraid of taking that shot. But if you look at his legacy, especially his championship legacy, two of his rings came from him trusting his teammate, yep. trusting his teammate, you know, from hitting John Paxson and Phoenix to that infamous shot, you know, past to Steve Kerr. And if you go back and you watch the footage in the huddle, um, you know, Michael looked at, at Steve Kerr and Kerr tells him, you know, um, you know, if you need me, I got you. Like Steve Kerr is telling him, if I'm, if I'm open, I'll hit it. You know, and Michael looks at him. This is this is the finals. You know, this is a, the ultimate moment. And he says, okay, I'm gonna get this double team. And Steve Kerr, a guy who I punched to see what he was made of and who proved to me that he was gonna be a fighter, I can trust him in this moment. So. Everybody has a different way of going about being a leader. You know, 
Kobe sort of emulated a lot of Michael's, you know, strategies in terms of, you know, um, you know, trying to toughen up that tough love approach. LeBron is probably a little more gregarious in his leadership, um, but he also had a little passive aggressive, you know, nature. He would try to attack his teammates through social media and things. So I think it's people can judge, but I think a lot of it depends on as a leader, you know, what best suits you and then what is the ultimate outcome that you want. So, yeah, you could say he wasn't the best teammate or he wasn't the best person in a lot of things that he did, but he got the result. And, you know, I know win at all costs may not always be the best way, but um, but in this sense, you know, I think it just depends on the person who's judging. They'll determine whether they agree with it or not. Um, but if that's who you are, then I say go ahead and, and embrace it and go all in with it. And Michael did that. The, my, my one fear about the whole thing is that a lot of kids in the younger generation will watch these the footage and the highlights, just won't fully appreciate the greatness of the athletes on the floor. You know, like mm-hmm. they, they feel like athleticism is like some sort of, uh, you know, thing that only arrived in the year 2000 or 2002. And like everybody before that was a plumber or something that, you yeah. know, just happened to get into being a basketball player. And there was so much, there was so much more skill, man. Like for Jordan to average like 37 points or whatever at a time when there was hand checking and body slams and so much stuff that he had to endure. I mean, hardly any three-point shooting and it wasn't like a circus show like it was like you had to really prove that you were the man like it was physical i mean now it's like right everything's so free and loose and it's like it's fun i like it i'm not complaining but but it was a man's league mike came up to a man's league like you had to be built for it if you if you weren't you weren't gonna survive well, it's interesting because I was going to ask you about uh, comparing what we know about LeBron as a leader uh, with Jordan because, you know, they're, of course, part of that discussion of who is the GOAT, who's the greatest of all time. And I wanted to ask you, should our perception of them as teammates shape how we view them or how we rank them as basketball players? Like asking ourselves, like, who is better to be on a team with? Who is able to get more out of their teammates? Who is able to... <laughs> Uh, build that sort of camaraderie versus an atmosphere of, I guess, fear. Um, what What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I honestly feel like, like I said, it depends on your pers- uh, perspective. It depends on what you want. Um, you know, because I, I can look at it from this perspective. Yeah, it was tough playing with Michael because he was going to be hard on you and he was going to be somebody that drove you and try to get the maximum about it. He's going to crack jokes about you. He was going to do whatever he could to see what you're made of constantly and, you know, aggressively and forcefully. LeBron has a different way of doing it. He's a guy that's all about the team building aspects and, you know, having the dinners and doing all the functions. And that that sort of reflected in the way that he played. He plays basketball where he's selfless and he's setting up his teammates and getting assists and, and trying to, you know, run the whole show. But playing with LeBron also isn't easy. It's easy if you are a role player and you're not somebody who's an elite talent, you know, superstar level player. It's hard to play with a guy like LeBron if you're an all-star caliber player because he is, through his immense talent, he is the best rebounder. He is the best scorer. He is the best passer. 
he is, you know, in, in Miami days, he was the best defender. So if he's the best at all of these things, then how are you going to say, I need more shots in that situation? How are you going to be able to, you know, command that respect? And, and I think that LeBron can uplift role players, but he can diminish stars. You know, the reason why Kyrie Irving didn't want to finish his, that, that last season in Cleveland with him was because it wasn't always fun. Because if you lose a game, LeBron's going to get all the praise. He's going to get all the credit for his, like, look what LeBron did. LeBron made eight straight trips to the NBA Finals. But Kyrie Irving was there. Kevin Love was there. Dwayne Wade was there. Chris Bosh was there. All these great players were there, but they all diminished being in his presence because of how great he is. And if you're somebody like Kyrie and you felt like, okay, I need to get respect because I hit the game when it shot in game seven of the NBA Finals, the biggest shot in Finals history against some, especially in Cleveland basketball history, and you feel like, okay, I need to get some credit, and you didn't get any, you didn't get a single vote for MVP, uh, uh, Finals MVP, you're like, well, dang, what do I need to do? <laughs> and I think that in some respects, you know, you can talk about a leadership style and say that, yeah, it's better to be to play with that guy or this guy, but I think it depends on what kind of player you are and what you think of yourself. Um, you know, we all know that, you know, if you're even just playing pickup, and if you got a guy that that you know can just destroy everybody and he's gonna hit every bucket, you can just run the floor and do what you got to do and just you know get your rebounds and everything. But if you got somebody that's got the ball in his hands all the time and, and does everything, sometimes that can be frustrating. Um, so I just I just think it just depends on who you are and how you view how you want to play basketball um but i think the end result is really how you measure it all well i might as well ask you uh i guess i'll make it a two-part question well who is your goat uh lebron or <laughs> mj or do you slip kareem in there as as i often do when we have this discussion and where do you think the basketball cognoscenti is at this moment like, where do you think the broad consensus is on, at this moment on who is uh, number one? Um, I, I, I'll say this. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily like this conversation because I oh, feel I like <laughs> it, diminishes, it diminishes all the great players um, that come before and even after. And I think a lot of times the fact that the debate simply comes down to two players, I don't necessarily think that's fair either. Um, and, I, and I always say, you know, I always feel like the conversation is really who was the player that inspired the most passion in, in basketball for you? Who's the one that inspired the most love of the game for you? For me, it's magic, right? Because I look at magic's career and I feel like, you know, he's a guy who was playing for a championship or either a, either a conference championship or a championship from 19, from high school you know, the senior in high school, sophomore year of college, to 12 straight seasons in the NBA, he was playing for something of significance all but one of those years when they lost, when the Lakers lost to the Suns in 90. But every other year, he was right there playing for either going to the finals or winning a championship. And he did it from day one. And so for me, that's, I always just say magic. And I know that that's not really the popular choice because he doesn't have a Nike machine behind him. and you know, a lot of propaganda to push him up there to the top. For me, it's always magic. But if we're choosing between LeBron and Michael Jordan, I'm picking Michael Jordan, and I don't really think it's fair to LeBron. Because like I said earlier, 
everyone compares LeBron to Michael Jordan, but no one compares Michael Jordan to say anybody else. No one ever says LeBron, Michael had to be on this level to be this good. Everyone has always used Michael as a measuring. Michael retired in 2003. This is 17 years after he played, and we're still measuring every player to a Jordan status. And why is that? Because not just that he won six championships, not just that he denied Hall of Famers their opportunity to win rings, he got there and he had his he took his lumps. I mean, he 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 got beat down early on in his career by the Pistons, by the Celtics, and he had to break through. But name a player who once they broke through, it was a wrap. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say the Celtics, you know, with Bill Russell, but I always say that that's that's a little different because Bill Russell was the best player on a fully loaded team of Hall of Famers. <laughs> Look at all the Hall of Famers that played for that Celtics team. Look at the number of teams in the league at that time. And it's, it's, it's I mean, yeah, there was going to be a dynasty during that era. That, that, that There's not going to be that kind of level of dominance in the modern era. So Michael was able to do that, and nobody else could win off of him. Nobody's got to win off of him. I mean, the, the Magic beat him in 95 after he played 17 games, you know, after playing baseball for 17 months. Like, uh, he wasn't all the way back, and he wasn't in basketball shape. So, okay. But when he decided that he was not only going to win, he was going to dominate, he was on 60-win teams, 70-win teams. I mean, people forget the year after they won 72 games, he won 69 the next year. Like, think about the like, it's hard to repeat. He was like, okay, we're going to not only are we going to win 72 and win a championship in, in dominant fashion, come right back and come close to doing it one more time. And right. I, I just, and I look at it like this, I, I'm, and, I, and I'm not trying to, like, what LeBron has done in his career is phenomenal. He's going to go down probably as an all time leading scorer. He's going to go down, um, you know, uh, probably top 10, maybe top five in assists. He could retire top 10 in rebounds. So statistically, he's going to have some awesome numbers. But I always put it like this, and I always say when it comes down to it, basketball is a competition. And at the end of the day, if you're playing pickup, who keeps track of how many points or rebounds or assists anybody got in a pickup game? You keep track of who was on the court and who ran the floor. Michael ran the court for a decade. If you look at LeBron's era where he's been considered the best player in the game, um, Tim Duncan has two championships off of him. Steve, I mean, Stephen Curry has three championships off of him. KD came in, got finals MVP against him twice. And, and KD's probably just infuriated, not just only that he won finals MVP twice, his main objective was to beat LeBron. That's why he went to Golden State in the first place. He beat him twice, eight one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nobody ever wanted to give anything up to him. So imagine how frustrated he is in this state of his career. So as great as LeBron is, as phenomenal as he is, um, I mean his lows are pretty low. You know, um, his lows are pretty low. Like that that Dallas series will always stand out. Um, you know, a lot of people bring that up. I'm not trying to get all skip Bayless. But I, I just I just don't think it's fair to compare anybody to Michael because 
there hasn't been a player that got to the top and basically said, none of nobody else is going to touch me. And I think that once you do that, and again, if you use my park analogy, like nobody plays pickup basketball to figure out who has the most stats. You know, it's like 15, you know, first to 15, nobody cares about the stats. It's like, we've got to win this game. And if you got to win this game, you can you can have LeBron. But if I got Mike, I'm pretty confident and I'm going to win. Exactly. I got to ask you um, before you go, thanks, you've been so generous with your time. Um, but I got to ask you before you go, um, moving away from Jordan, there's this idea that's out there that you know if the nba is going to resume any time in the next year it's going to be without fans it's going to be with mass testing to make sure that everybody who's entering uh the arena is covid free but as someone who's been around this game for as long as you have would hoops without fans be felt and be understood as legitimate hoops would it be accepted as part of the fabric and history of the game um, I think that, you know, desperate situations require, you know, just kind of desperate measures. And I think that if that is what happens, then it sort of sort of be understood that that was just the necessary uh, move that, that was made to just allow the games to be played. I don't think anybody's going to judge it from the fan perspective, because I think that the fans will still be able to be entertained by watching the games at home. Um, it will be a different experience for players. It won't be an ideal situation, especially for guys who get riled up by the crowds. And we know from watching playoff games and seeing the intensity in, in the postseason that the crowd is a factor and it does play a role um, when the games are played because of just the energy they give the players when they go on a roll, hit a three, get a dunk, you know, all those things that you do to just to entertain the fans. Um if they take away that element, players are going to have to find other measures of motivation. Um, but I think it's just something that you just have to kind of deal with, you know, um, if that if that's where we go. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that stood out from, you know, last, last uh, Adam Silver's latest news conference was that, you know, there's so much unknown about COVID-19. There's so much uncertainty. And even with all the testing and all these things that, we do i mean unless there's some sort of treatment vaccine or it just decides to be like sars and just vanish and disappear um you're still going to be putting people at risk um because again you know asymptomatic people have been transmitting it you know um donovan mitchell had no hint of any sign that he had covid19 he he was going to play basketball the night that, you know, in uh, in Oklahoma City, because he had no clue that he had it. And he could have been a carrier and he could have been passing it on to anybody who guarded him that night. So, you know, it's not like, you know, we can social distance. We can keep six feet away from each other. You can't social distance on the basketball court. Right. And, you know, so I, I, I do, I understand the, the, the desire to push to try to play basketball and to try to play sports in general. But I also feel like, you know, the, the cost, the ultimate cost could far outweigh, you know, what's at stake. And 
And then you also got to look at it just from the human aspect of keeping players away from their families and, and their loved ones for several months to play a season. It seems kind of cruel and inhumane to me in some respects, um, especially if you have a situation like, you know, say you put all 30 teams in Vegas and you have them all there and they're playing. What if you have a situation like Carl Anthony Towns who just lost his mother through COVID-19? What if you're a player and you have, your family is touched by it, your kid or your wife or somebody you love, and you have to be here to entertain the masses because that's your job because you make millions of dollars. Um, I just think that right now everybody's focused on protecting their families, making sure that everybody's doing well, and making sure that everybody's safe and protected. <clears throat> and to throw everybody in the mix and say, hey, man, we got to get this money. <laughs> If you have a lot of money already in the bank, you know, some players are going to be forced to make some really tough decisions. And I don't, I'm not sure if it's fair to ask them to do that just for our entertainment. No, I, I hear you. I hear you on that big time. Um, all right, yo, Michael Lee, man, what are you listening to these days? What's your music that's getting you through quarantine? Uh, mostly old school stuff, but a lot of jazz. Um, you know, a lot of miles and Coltrane, you know, just, you know, taking it back to the essence, you know, just simple, simpler music, simpler times, um, but just incredibly uplifting and, uh, and just relaxing, you know, uh, like I could, I, I, I will say, I will say that I was hyped when they had the, uh, Instagram live, uh, battle between RZA and, uh, DJ Premier. I was all over that. And uh, and I started listening to some old gang star a little bit after that. Um, and, you know, so I probably need to just, you know, bring back all my all my Wu-Tang and uh, all my gang star and everything else Primo touched during the 90s and just start pumping some old 90s hip hop again. But right now I've been mostly into jazz because it sort of put me in the right mindset. No, that's real talk. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for making the time. Like, just safety and blessings for you and your family. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Be well. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about world wrestling entertainment. Look, there is something ugly as sin happening in the world of professional wrestling, or more specifically, world wrestling entertainment, the top dog in the industry. Run by 74-year-old billionaire friend of Trump, Vince McMahon, WWE decided to resume live programming last week in the midst of the coronavirus instead of doing safer bulk pre-tapings. The reason for doing so appear to be dicey as hell. The owners say they're doing it for America. Their actual motives are much more suspect. 
ESPN has some sort of murky partnership with WWE, interviewing its sports entertainers on SportsCenter and as if it's a legit sport, and never looking at the dark side of the business. The network uncritically ran WWE's justification for going back to live programming, where they said, We believe it's now more important than ever to provide people with a diversion from these hard times. We are producing content on a closed set with only essential personnel in attendance following appropriate guidelines while taking additional precautions. As a brand that has been woven into the fabric of society, WWE and its superstars bring families together and deliver a sense of hope, determination, and perseverance. Wow. What propagandistic nonsense, or to use a word from McMahon's youth, malarkey. The actual reason WWE tried to change to live programming, as reported by actual wrestling journalist Dave Meltzer, is to fulfill contractual requirements to the USA and Fox networks to broadcast only three pre-taped shows per year. This decision is driven by McMahon's eternal efforts to keep his stock artificially inflated with smoke and mirrors. According to insiders, he's concerned that the contracts with USA and Fox could be reopened if he doesn't deliver the goods. In other words, this was a decision that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the McMahons. Even more appropriate for this scandal-ridden company is that the decision to go to live event programming comes after news this weekend that an unnamed on-air personality has tested positive for COVID-19. The company was quick to assert that this employee infected nobody, never had contact with anyone, and everything was completely fine. Nothing to see here. But there's no reason to take anything WWE says at face value. McMahon's care for his workforce is legendarily abhorrent, with a staggering death toll among its stars over the decades due to drugs, suicide, and one in-ring disaster. And if you don't know the story of Owen Hart, please look it up. If any other sport had WWE's body count, there would be congressional panels decrying its existence. In addition, McMahon is taking advantage of Florida's lax laws concerning COVID-19 enacted by their blithering goon of a governor, Ron DeSantis. WWE will be filming its live shows in the corrupt sinkhole of Orlando, where McMahon has received an essential business label from the friendly Florida government. My God, it's difficult to imagine a more rancid and more dangerous cross-pollination than that of Trump, DeSantis, and the WWE. Sure enough, the same day that McMahon announced that WWE would be doing live tapings in Florida, former Trump cabinet official Linda McMahon, former WWE executive and Vince's spouse, of course, committed her Trump re-election pact to spending $18.5 million in Florida in 2020. Then, late on Monday night on April 13th, it was revealed that last Thursday, that would be April 9th, DeSantis signed an executive order deeming all employees at professional sports and media production with a national audience, including athletes, entertainers, as essential. This all stinks to high hell. When you strip it all away, what you have is a billionaire Trump backer getting an anti-labor sweetheart deal at the behest of a Trump lickspittle of a governor. It's a microcosm of a corrupt system in a state of profound decay. Now the matches will continue without crowds and with the illusion that just three to seven people in the ring are present, their bodies all over each other like a frat party of germs. 
The reality is that when one considers the tech crew and medical professionals on site, it's likely to be dozens in attendance and in close quarters at a time when social distancing is the difference between life and death. Even the announced team, which could easily fulfill their duties at a remote location, are being told to fly to Orlando to take care of business. And again, this is all happening after someone in the company tested positive for COVID-19. This is a scandal. And the powder puff WWE journalism from mainstream outlets is not nearly sufficient to hold McMahon's feet to the fire. The one positive to all of this is the possibility that maybe now at long last, professional wrestlers will see the value in organizing themselves into a union. The matches may be scripted, but there's nothing fake about the real life injuries, painkiller addictions, and now coronavirus risks that come with being part of Vincent Kennedy McMahon's traveling circus. And now some breaking news at this story. As we are recording this, it was just uh, said in a a weekend news dump that WWE is going to go back to pre-taping in several weeks. They've made that pledge. Of course, they're going to continue live programming in the next couple weeks. Who knows how dangerous that will be. But they're going to go back to uh, pre-taped programming because of the outrage that this ridiculous sweetheart deal of dumping $18.5 million dollars into Florida and then getting deemed as essential workers hath wrought. It's terrible publicity for the company and it looks like they're shrinking because of it. So I'm not even that confident that they're going to go ahead with going back to pre-taped events because I don't think Vince McMahon cares for the health and safety of his workers, but we will see. And for now, that's good news. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports Podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now... Back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award Stand up. this week, it goes to Megan Rapino because if you didn't see her Instagram live chat with Kamau Bell, you really need to. Thank you, Megan Rapino, for bringing the heat. Uh, and folks really should go and check that out. Kamau Bell interviewing Megan Rapino on Instagram live. It was great stuff all around. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award Sit your ass down. Uh, goes to Trump's committee to reopen sports. It's like the Bizarro World Super Friends, just the worst actors in the sports world, are going to be in charge of whether or not and when we reopen. We're talking about people like Roger Goodell. Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones, UFC overlord Dana White, and the aforementioned Vince McMahon. I mean, these, do you realize how hard you have to try to come up with a committee to advise the sports world and only come up with rich white men? That's, you realize how hard you actually have to try to do that? And, you, and like, no union people, no women, no health experts, just friends and donors of Donald Trump. This is not a blind spot, and this is not about me being politically correct. 
This is the malignant intent of a racist, sexist administration. And Adam Silver, who's better than the rest of the people on this committee, the commissioner of the NBA, who's also on it, he should quit and protest unless uh, Michelle Roberts, the head of the National Basketball Players Association, is added to it. Because this is a murderer's row of terrible people, and Adam Silver shouldn't allow himself to be in their company. One last statement here. We have a Kaepernick watch this week. If folks didn't see it, on April 16th, Colin Kaepernick put out a video and a tweet Uh, We're going to play the audio from the video because it's really powerful. But Colin Kaepernick wrote, Structural racism makes black and brown people more likely to die from COVID-19. We've launched the Know Your Rights Camp COVID-19 Relief Fund to directly impact the disproportionate effect coronavirus is having on our communities. Hashtag, we got us. And then a link where people can donate. And people should check out this video. Let me play the audio for it right now. Black and brown communities are being disproportionately devastated by COVID-19 because of hundreds of years of structural racism. There's been a misinformation that black people can't get the virus. Poorer areas, which are mostly black and brown, have the heaviest number of patients that have been affected. Bus drivers are on the front lines of this pandemic every day. We out here doing our job. After he made that video, Hargrove began to feel sick himself. He died Wednesday night. If you do not have to be out, do not. Health inequities are because we've had policies that devalue groups of people. Brooklyn Hospital, they're putting bodies in the back of a freezer truck, y'all. These communities are going to be devastated by COVID-19. That's why we've established the Know Your Rights Camp COVID-19 Relief Fund to help address these issues. Go to knowyourrightscamp.com slash COVID-19 to help. Powerful stuff from Colin Kaepernick, for sure. Uh, That's all the time we have for this week. Everybody, please stay safe. Please stay well. If you like the show, please tell a friend. Please put a rating down. Please write a little review. All of that helps us so much. And also, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.